Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk and our very special Thursday shows. I'm so grateful for this Thursday show. Great chance to have a unique and wonderful guest in studio with us here at America Can We Talk. Today, a perfectly, a very, very relevant uh, gentleman joining us today. Uh, this, we have Seth Keschel joining us today. He's been on the show numerous other times. Uh, he actually spoke at our summit last year and he is someone who can help us dive into what happened two days ago in America's midterm elections where a red wave was expected and I guess a lot of sarcastic people want to call it a red whimper but it wasn't the red wave outcome that was expected by many people. Seth Keschel has a unique way of studying election data, uh, diving into the past, registrations, I'll let him describe to his method. It's a unique method he has used to come up with predictions about how elections should go following the uh, data he's pulled out, following the statistics he's pulled out. One thing I always love to point out about him, uh, besides he, he's former military, quickly tell you, he's a former army captain of military intelligence, served in Afghanistan, an Afghanistan veteran, um, and just a an amazing person in, in his ability to retain enormous amounts of data statistical data with precision in his head and talk about them and I, I is not my skill I have to take a lot of notes while he's talking but he's able to draw conclusions from the data he studies the one point I want to make before I finally bring him on is back in 2016 if you recall every news outlet in America pretty much said without any doubt at all Hillary Clinton's going to win the 2016 election she was given odds of 90 percent and plus and as all of us know, as we watched the returns in that amazing election of 2016, we saw Donald Trump emerge as the victor. Almost no one in the country predicted that victory except Seth Keschel, who not only predicted the victory based on the way he gathers data and the way he analyzes it, but he predicted it with accuracy in numerous states down to pretty much accurate the percentage of victory that he found in the 2016 elections that, that he uh, won in 2016. So accurately predicting Trump's victory in 2016 was a rare and great thing. And he brings it, he's been very active ever since the 2020 elections when many people were concerned the 2020 election was stolen uh, and that we really didn't get an accurate outcome in 2020. He's been active bringing his unique and extraordinary skill to analyzing data regarding elections and helping America understand what elections should look like based on the data he has and what what is out of kilter in the data that he has gathered. So please help me welcome to the show, Captain Seth Keschel. Well, thank you for having me back on, Debbie. It's good to be back here in Dallas. I just made it out of a tropical storm in Florida. And let me tell you this, it's not just some people that think the 2020 election was compromised. It is nearly 60%, depending on what poll you read, that believe outright the 2020 election was compromised with fraud. Now, three quarters of the population, almost everywhere you look, has serious doubt about the system of elections itself and its credibility and its reliability. That's truly the crisis that we have to solve as Americans. Of course, a lot of people were motivated to the election integrity battle because of the loss of a particular president. I am very concerned that this level of election manipulation began in 2018, but of course nobody that was lost was a beloved leader or politician. So I don't think you have the impetus for people to get out there and start this movement at that point in time. But with so many people not trusting the system of elections and our country founded 
this constitutional republic under consent of the governed. I don't really know how we can continue on politically without people once again believing in elections. Because if you can't believe a presidential election in which millions, tens of millions of votes are cast, and how do we believe a school board race that is decided by tens of votes down the ticket? So that is where people need to get their minds. And of course, this midterm election has more problems than it does solutions at this point in time. So of course, we're going to talk about that today. But it's great to be back on the show. Uh, my methodology is pretty is pretty standard political knowledge up until polling took over. Polling, of course, is now used by the media to do two things. Number one, it's designed to suppress turnout of particular groups. Right now, that would be populist conservatives. I don't really say it's anti-Republican because there is a time coming in which the Democrats are going to take over that party. The left-wing Democrats are going to take over the Democrat Party. And they're going to bring in a Democratic Socialist platform. And of course, the establishment wing will probably prop up rhino Republicans, moderate Republicans or rhinos, as many people call them, to make sure that they maintain power over the political apparatus. It is basically populist versus establishment everywhere you go. And that's what's taking place right now in Arizona. Um, I will jump in. I want to get to Arizona and Nevada, but that's actually what I started my show out with yesterday, the point you made a few minutes ago. The polling a week before the election, they're uh, likely voters. This one was a, a, a left-wing polling company that basically said 40% of Americans of likely voters still believe the election of 2020 was stolen. And they write about it in a way of shaking their heads. These silly people still think that. And it is a much higher percentage. I agree. It's, it's, it's well over half of Americans do not believe the validity of the outcome of the 2020 election which is part of what caused me if you think that's how americans think we didn't we don't believe the 2020 election outcome as reported as we have been forced to live under it was accurate and you have a poll after poll showing a massive red wave coming in deep unhappiness with the uh, Biden administration policies on a wide range of things, and yet somehow we didn't have a red wave, I think that raised more suspicion, uh, especially when you contrast with red waves emerging in, in other election cycles where people were unhappy with the direction of the country and the red wave is gonna show up. So I wanna just, uh, you made allusion to how you gather data, but for, and I, I've heard you speak so many times, either I've spoken with you or had you on the show or heard you speak, but just briefly tell if you would, the way you gather data that allows you to make predictions as to the likely outcome of, and, and actually is in 2016 how you did it and other times. What was your, what's your system? People get really preoccupied determining percentages. Of course, polling is so-and-so is up by 4%, so-and-so is up by 6%. But ultimately, elections come down to who has the taller stack of poker chips. Those poker chips are called votes. How many votes are there going to be on the table? So every county has a certain number of votes that is possible. And by possible, I don't mean by how many voters are registered. I mean based on many dynamics that go along with the political wins. For example, if I have a trending county that is a Republican trending county, especially of limited size, and it's, let's, let's use Gregg County out in Longview, Texas. You're gonna have a pretty limited population growth. It's predictable. It's not Dallas or Tarrant County that's surging in population. And it's becoming more and more Republican over the years. And now in 2020, we have a record Republican vote share. That is going to disparately impact the Democrat column, particularly if a lot of the minority Democrats are coming over and voting for a Republican candidate for the first time. Donald Trump in Texas, of course, had hundreds of thousands of new minority votes 
mostly working class Hispanics, that always supported Democrats. So the logic there is that the Democrat column should be plunging, just like the Republican column in Northern Virginia plunges when those Beltway bureaucrat Republicans begin supporting Democrats. So each county has its own profile and its own trend, its own socioeconomic data, its own racial and ethnic demographics, and its population growth, decline, or stagnation. And all of those play into a prediction and a forecast of approximately how many votes should be on the table. I have nailed states like Florida to the thousand, to the actual thousand doing modeling like this, and that's what got me in 2016 to an accurate estimation. So this is... For example, the Georgia runoff coming on December the 6th. I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> Herschel Walker doesn't need X percentage. He needs 0.01% advantage. He needs a certain amount of votes. So we can sweep all 159 counties in Georgia and also understand their trend, also understand how they behaved in the most recent election and give an estimate of how many votes he needs to win. And I believe that number is about 2.3 million. So that is where we're going to be targeting in that race. 2.3 million votes should get him a win in that sort of a turnout environment, being in a midterm type environment. But it will be a very national environment by December the 6th with all the focus on Georgia. Sure. So your system basically, as I understood it, you, you study voting registration patterns. So you notice that in particular areas, uh, Republican registration is up or Democrat registration. So it's registration of voters, it's voter turnout. And, and because I, you predict trends, based on those kind of numbers so you're able in some cases to say given all the trends and the and tracking it and, and neat little graphs you end up being able to say but this outcome over here is inconsistent with it's anomalous with this it's out of kilter with the with the other data you've collected and I'm, I'm not a good math person but that that's the ballpark of where you the I, the approach you use, correct? Yes, my math is, is the very basic level of helping people understand this. Now, Texas does not register voters by party. So nobody in the audience is a registered Republican or registered Democrat. In Texas, we're all just registered voters. And that's the same story in Georgia and in Michigan. But in a number of states like Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Florida, they register voters by party. So they have a closed primary system, meaning if you want to vote in the Republican primary, you have to be a registered Republican. Texas, it's a free-for-all. You show up, you can vote for whichever party's primary you want. Now, at the lowest level in small counties, you can get some issues with that if people want to play what's called chaos theory. We're going to cross over. Let's say there's an incumbent Republican running for president like Donald Trump in 2020. Well, I could show up and go vote for who I think is the weakest person to take Donald Trump on and declare myself for the Democrat primary and support Elizabeth Warren. Now, that would have been a very entertaining race. But... With that said, the states that register by party are extremely predictable. Pennsylvania registers voters by party, and the trend in Pennsylvania goes in the same direction as registration, which has been solid Republican for 12 years. Pennsylvania is probably the most slam dunk predictable Trump state on the map in 2020 as far as the so-called swing states. Wow, very, okay. very easy Trump six and a half point win in Pennsylvania, without a doubt. Michigan doesn't have party registration, but the two states correlate. Michigan and Pennsylvania and Florida have all trended in the same direction in every election since 1932. So if Florida becomes more Republican, it's the first one out of those three that gets called, then Pennsylvania and Michigan are also becoming more Republican with it and vice versa since 1932. So in 2020, Florida became two and a half points more Republican for Trump, even with problems with that election. Florida became two and a half points more Republican for Trump. But for the first time in 88 years, Michigan and Pennsylvania moved to the left from 2016. 
88 years. Now, why did that happen? It's pretty obvious. You have the mail-in ballots going everywhere, but the mid in the Midwest, the Democrats have mastered ballot harvesting. That is what they that's what they've absolutely been able to get their their grasp on. And if you watch 2000 Mules, you'll understand the the dynamics behind it. But you also have high-tech machinery that is capable of inserting ballots and, and tabulation errors. And of course, in Maricopa County yesterday, it was a complete disaster, or two days ago, Republican wave on election day and 25% of machines at various locations not working. Yeah, Arizona was a problem. I mean, it's, it's problem location. So let's just dive in. Everyone listening online and here is just wants to get to what in the world happened two days ago. We expected a red wave. A, a true, clear Republican takeover of the House, Republican takeover of the Senate, or at least a, a you know, yeah, Republican takeover of the Senate by a small margin. We expected that much, and yet we sit here today, two days later, we don't even clearly have a Republican majority in the House. We don't have the Senate. We have a few races undecided. What was your reaction overall to what the heck happened two days ago? Midterms have their own dynamic. Now, presidential elections, like we just discussed, are very easily predictable. And they have been for, for decades and decades. A lot of my trends that I can cite right on the spot go back to 1872. Oh a, a lot of times, and I can ask the audience, I don't think anybody in here was alive in 1872, <laughs> nor were any of your family members alive in 1872. But some of your male voting neighbors probably were. <laughs> but but oh you can God. take some of these trends and indicators. I'll give you an example. Donald Trump in 2020 was the first incumbent president since 1888 to gain votes from his first election and lose re-election. So that's a 132 year indicator that was snapped. So it's a bit concerning to, to see things like that, but presidential elections are pretty predictable. The states move in a certain pattern. Midterms are a little bit different. They feature a lot of local races, which sometimes, yeah, there could be a Republican wave, but if there happens to be a popular Democrat governor in a red state or a Republican governor in a, in a blue state, sometimes you'll see a person like that hang up general grain of the election should match so when i see florida opening up and going 18 to 21 points republican which is enormous and and not just the percentages but you're talking about seven and a half million votes it's hard to move percentages like that with so many votes out there you can move percentages a lot when you're talking about a county with 30,000 votes they can swing a lot but florida had a massive red wave Florida is the perfect cross-section of America. I made a post, you might have seen it. Florida has white-collar workers. You have blue-collar workers of all races and ethnicities. You have Hispanic voters of every ethnicity. You have a lot of black voters. You have, you have non-college whites. You have people in big cities and small towns and suburban areas, retirees and young people in universities. Florida is a perfect barometer of what America looks like. It's like a melting pot. And it's a big working class state. Florida's got a lot of population growth, but Florida surged out to Marco Rubio won by 16, Ron DeSantis by 19, and Ashley Moody, the attorney general, by 21 points. And now you're trying to tell me that that doesn't have a ripple effect in the Midwest in which those areas correlate. It doesn't make sense to you that Florida went that strongly, positively are, but those other states in the Midwest didn't do that. Correct. That, that's a, I, would expect, I would expect DeSantis 
to hang on and Rubio to hang on by three or four points if this was going to be a kind of a push of an election. And then you would expect those kind of results where incumbents hold on in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Wisconsin, to me, I've really expected Tim Michaels to carry the governorship. Yep. I'm not a Tudor Dixon supporter there in Michigan. I didn't think she had the toughness to take on the election machine, and I was correct. Now, Christina Caramo, who ran for Secretary of State, is all about it, and she's giving very specific examples of the election fraud in Michigan from the midterm. And over in Pennsylvania, of course, Doug Mastriano was somebody they could not allow to win because he was such a hard opponent of election manipulation and fraud. So he lost by, in the certified totals, he's going to lose by seven or eight points. As reported. Correct. And somehow, outcome. you know, John Fetterman somehow gets selected. <laughs> okay. The, the Fetterman thing we have to get into. But, you know, I will say people sat back, looked at the results on Tuesday and just thought this can't be right. There's something truly deeply amiss. I mean, everyone's happy about Florida and, you know, the people there are very well. Politicians are well liked. They're respected. They were. And this is, as you say, it's a melting pot or a, a you know, diversity in the true sense of the word uh, of the country. And yet the rest of the country did not follow suit. And so you find the, those results alarming, suspicious in a variety of places. Yes. So Florida, to me, appears to be an indicator of what the nation should look like nationally. Florida, of course, is a bellwether state. Florida is one of the key bellwether states out of four nationally that we have since 1896, once again, before anybody in the audience was born. Since 1896, Ohio, Iowa, Florida, and North Carolina, if they go to the same presidential candidate, on 13 out of 13 occasions, they've predicted the winner of the presidential election, of course, except for 2020. Now, we have this big working class shift in Florida's heavy Republican and the nation doesn't respond. But there's a couple other indicators that Tuesday's election should have been a red wave like 1994. And one of them is off the net a little bit. Guam sent its first Republican delegate to I Congress in history. Now, you're not going to have something like that happen without some serious undercurrent in favor of the Republican candidates. We also have a race in New York that even with a lot of election fraud is within six points for the governorship. Is that, I thought that was called though. I mean, New York. I know it's called, but it's, it was still going to, it's going to fall within six points. And there's massive evidence of election fraud in New York telling you that New York probably was going to put Lee Zeldin in as governor. Upstate New York was extremely red. Yeah. New York City's boroughs, he, Zeldin was two to one on Staten Island. He won Nassau, he won Suffolk counties. But of course, you have no idea what goes on in Manhattan, Queens, and Brooklyn and the Bronx. So New York has its issues, but that's still a significant movement of the goalposts in favor of the Republican Party, even with the fraud present. But right now, all eyes have to be on Arizona and Nevada, and that is of national importance for decades to yeah, last. Let, let, let's shift to Arizona. Number one, I've seen many reports talking about how, and, and as you, everyone knows, I'm sure, in Arizona, they're still counting. They're still counting. They can't seem to count in Maricopa County, especially, and some reports are saying that as the counting continues, the late wave of votes being counted are trending more to Kerry Lake. This is for the governor's race. I mean, to you, is this, is this taking two to three days to count a suspicious all by itself? Yes. And all anyone really needs to know is that Florida certified or will certify more than seven and a half million votes for its election. 
they counted and reported those totals to be able to call the election within two hours of poll closure. Seven and a half million votes. Florida also had its face rubbed in the dirt in 2000 with such a poorly run election yeah. that they always say down there that they learned their lesson about getting their house in order for counting and reporting. So Florida's got seven and a half million that you know the results by, by the time you're ready to go to bed. Right. And then Arizona has a third of that. And they're going on two days, and it looks like it's going to take a full week to, to get that one done. And I know why that is. And then there's Nevada that has an eighth of what Florida has that has till the 15th to wrap things up, which is a week after the election. Okay, so why is this happening in Arizona? So do you know why? Arizona is ground zero for the battle between the Patriot grassroots and the establishment parties. And this is one that happens to be the establishment Republican Party. But that is where it's all going down, because if we're going to turn a corner and have energy in our movement, and especially in the field of confidence in elections, Arizona is where it's at. And that is not just Carrie Lake, who is Carrie Lake is a once in a decade candidate. She's she's absolutely astounding. I know her personally. I'm impressed with her energy. And I also that substack that I have. You can you I know a lot about people that I don't really put out there that you know you could personally tell that somebody's got a certain trait, but not everyone knows it. My thing about Carrie Lake would be that she has I gave her a membership to my Substack account where I put all of my election materials on there. And I can look up somebody on the Substack and see their activity. She goes in and she reads every article I post about elections. She is a studious person and she is 100% committed to fixing not just the election problems in Arizona, but the corruption in general, fixing the border issues. And that's important, but Mark Fincham down the ticket, Republican Secretary of State candidate, he is a hardcore enthusiast for cleaning up elections. And then you have Abe Hamada for Attorney General, Blake Masters in the U.S. Senate, who's running the most distant out of all four of those in Arizona right now. But even Blake Masters, as the counting continues, is supposing contention, is that right? If Blake Carrie Lake can win that race, by 200,000 on what's left, then Blake Masters will be pulled across, and so will the rest of the ticket. I'm also very concerned about Nevada. Nevada's Republican governor candidate, Lombardo, is, the, is leading the pack, and he was up last I checked by about five points because he ran even in Clark County, which is Las Vegas. Then you have Adam Laxalt behind him. Laxalt for U.S. Senate is down by about, or he's up by about two and a half. Laxalt's up down in Nevada, okay, yeah. He is, but that two and a half points in a small state like Nevada is only about 23,000 votes. Okay. And Jim Marchant is arguably the most important of all of them because he is Nevada's version of Mark Fincham running for Secretary of State. And he's actually made headway in some of their counties out there, especially Nye County, and getting them off of electronic elections equipment. So those two candidates out there in the West, in the Southwest, are essential for being able to show what has happened with our elections and why the elections have taken a sudden turn in the last six or eight years. Yeah, on Arizona and Cary Lake, there are people, I think, whoever it is that seems to be manipulating, or not seems to be, Whoever is manipulating our election results, the people they really don't want to win are people like Carrie Lake, because she actually will. You mentioned the border, which is a huge issue, to my, especially if you live in that state or live in any of the border states. But she will go after election fraud. And this, this uh, energy on the anti-American left is just a refusal to acknowledge election fraud occurs refusal to acknowledge there's a problem with the machines. They came up with this election denier name, and it was odd. We were, I was noticing in the media, and even just walking by in a store with, with a television on in a furniture store, 
they had election denier and they have it as a label as though you're like a lunatic and they were trying to make the argument that election deniers were being rejected by the voters because they don't like people challenging elections whereas in my view it is the people who are manipulating elections do not want to allow people to come into power who will investigate uh, and, and expose election fraud. These election denier people alarm the daylights out of the, those who are manipulating elections. Think that's fair? I think that they've carefully chosen that term election denier to match one of their other terms, which is Holocaust denier. Exactly. And that's the left has mastered language. But unfortunately for them, I'm very proud to be thought of by the mainstream media as an election denier. In fact, one of the labels they've attached to me lately is prominent election denier. <laughs> now, now, I don't know if you that's, that I don't know if that's because of stature or or if that's because of the magnitude of the message and the fact that that 60% of the country agrees with me on 2020 and three quarters of it agrees with me that the election system is completely rotten to the core. You could have voted for every Democrat in Arizona or Nevada and looked at this like it's a third world country. We have cleaner elections in Afghanistan in which people show up on one day and they dip their finger in ink and they vote and then they go home. So you tell me this, what if I can't walk into a Cracker Barrel and spot 50 people in there and match up a ballot to who you voted for and confirm it like you do in kindergarten class when we're picking what activity you're going to do, then do we even have a legitimate system of elections? You don't. So with the election denial, I need to address it for the camera. I do not deny that we have something going on right now called an election. I deny that our elections are trustworthy and that most of them are free and fair at all including the 2018, 2020, and 2022 elections. Thank you very much. Yeah. We'll get to 2018 in a minute, just, just because of this, there's so much, or at least in my heart and mind and many people, so much focus on thinking somehow the 2022 midterms would allow some power to return to the conservative side, not that all Republicans are conservative, that's a whole other issue, but would allow the control in Washington to shift a little bit of balance of power if you have the Republicans, the House, and the Senate, at least countering what the Biden administration is doing. But as we stand right now, as I mentioned earlier, we don't even have 100% certainty Republicans will retake the majority in the House. It's a 218. Uh, so are we going to get there to 218? I think the GOP is going to wind up with a very narrow majority, which is, so I put out on my Substack my predictions on Tuesday. And it had an asterisk in the original title and still has it. And I put it in there in the article, the asterisk is a caveat for if the elections were quasi-fair. I didn't even say clean, quasi-fair. Because through 2014, our midterms had a noticeable trend and they behaved as midterms have since they've begun, which is usually the president's party loses seats in the House. There's a few exceptions since 1934. And in the Senate, it's typically the same way. It's usually anti-president's party. But of course, every now and again, you get a reversal depending on the slate that's out there and the candidate quality. And through 2016, our presidential elections, like I've pointed out for the last year and a half, have a discernible trend in indicators, bellwethers, and predictors and trends. But we have now the midterm of 2022, which bucked my predictions substantially, which I indicated in the article that it's very possible. But in a, in a general midterm, 
with Joe Biden or any president who is highly unpopular who's dealing with Jimmy Carter-like economic conditions. That's what we have. We have issues with inflation. That Your average voter out there, somebody who's in the middle class or even lower middle class, they're really suffering under inflation, the cost of groceries, the cost of fuel, the cost now of housing. Here in Texas, the housing prices are enormous, and that includes that includes just rent as well right. for apartments. And people have moved in from other states, and, and of course, supply and demand does its thing, and economic conditions does its thing. So it's hard, especially in Arizona. Housing is a big mess. Joe Biden's dealing with every issue on foreign policy, which is bad. The horrible issue in Afghanistan with the withdrawal there, an emerging world war. So really, not anything is going good, unless you consider locking up your political opponents to be a good thing. Yeah. So you would expect that with conditions like that, you would have a massive red wave. And my, my predictions were that the Republicans would have about 255 House seats. That map was more to get to a number of where I thought the seat distribution would go. It's hard to get all 435 right. Now, I also predicted 54 Senate seats for the Republican Party. It looks like it's going to be 50-50, or if we can pull in Herschel Walker, maybe 51 to 49. And then in the, uh, in the governor's I picked 34 Republican governors, and I had the Midwest slated to lean Republican in legitimate elections. And of course, all four of those governorships went to the team blue. Yeah, I mean, I actually had, you. first of all, I want to, for our listeners, this Substack um, is an amazing thing. I finally subscribed this morning. I think I've been getting in there reading, but anyway, I subscribed this morning, and I urge you to do that, because Substack is, if you don't go to it yet, Substack is a place where many people can write more detailed papers, more detailed articles. Um, and many of them have a membership, which is basically allowing these hardworking people to receive some payment for what they do. But this is uh, Captain K. Uh, Seth Keschel's um, sub stack is called Captain K. Um, is that right? Captain, Captain K's Corner. Captain K's Corner. It's really, really good. The articles are simple to read. They are not, um, they're not uber lengthy uh, as, as some are. Um, and I, so I pulled out your predictions, which were very much like where I was. That's where my head was, thinking this is what was going to happen. And I think would have happened had we had fair elections, had we not had what I think was massive fraud uh, combined with other uh, forms of manipulation. So um, I, I really urge people to subscribe to that. So you, and I, I want to hit a few other things that you have written, um, but to finish on where we are, so we have a few races yet to be called, Arizona, Nevada, uh, Georgia is going to a runoff in December, early December, I think it is, December 8th or something? Six. Sixth. Um, and so we have a few seats. So we may get a slim majority in the House. And the Senate, the most you think we'll get is a 51 Senate seats. Is that right? I think so. And that will that would include Adam Laxalt winning in Nevada, which is which is certainly something that I'm aware may not happen because the Clark County election machine is notoriously corrupt. Clark County is about 68% of the vote in Nevada. And now they're starting to roll out with the press that, oh, hey, we're going to have to count all the drop boxes now. Well, in a state where a state in a state that can be decided by a few thousand votes in tight races, that's not good. I think the only candidate on the Republican slate who's reasonably safe is the governor candidate Lombardo. Okay, and then Alaska now is going because they've gotten to this ranked choice voting, which could not be more ridiculous. So we may or may not end up with with a victory in Alaska. With I mean, if you have the incumbent whose name I just always block Lisa Murkowski, yeah, who is useless. I mean, in term, if unreliable as a Republican, and the other person who will apparently be against her now is the one that Trump has endorsed. Kelly Shabaka. Down, down to those two. 
So we may get a good Republican out of that. Well, you may. Kelly Shabaka is the Trump-endorsed populist Republican who's a very huge pickup and a major improvement over Lisa Murkowski. Now, the seat's not going to flip parties. But but as far as getting somebody really bad out of the Senate, Lisa Murkowski would be really good to, to have removed. She is a somebody who's from a political dynasty, did not earn her seat. In fact, she lost the Republican primary in 2010 yeah. and somehow won on a write-in campaign in the 2010 midterms, which yep. God knows what they were paying for ballots up in the, in the Native, Al Native Alaskan areas that all came in 100% for Murkowski. But Kelly Shabaka would be a huge pickup. But another thing to point out about Alaska, and so your audience knows, ranked choice voting is a catastrophe. Yes. And Alaska's legislature is doing everything it can as a Republican-run state to turn itself legally into a Democrat state. Most of the Republican states that get taken down and turned into blue states do so because of institutionalized corruption or local local lax regulation of election procedures or at a place like Texas, the urban area is outgrowing the the rural and smaller suburban areas. But in Alaska, they have put in ranked choice voting. And also in 2016, the day that Donald Trump was elected, Alaska's voters opted to allow for anyone that signed up for the permanent fund dividend that's the oil money yeah anybody that signs up is automatically registered to vote and they're registered to vote as nonpartisans. that's why going into 2020 the registration trends were seven percent r or d and 93 percent nonpartisan. that yeah. creates a much bigger voter roll in a state that is going more and more to mail-in voting to blast out mail ballots which are then harvested and returned in the population centers Alaska, of course, held, hung around for several days before they finally called that for Donald Trump. And I have my theories about Alaska as well, that that one was on reserve in case there were three electoral votes that were needed to go to Biden. So Alaska has major, <clears throat> major problems. And it looks like Sarah Palin's going to lose that House seat again. Thanks that was for my next question. Voting. You think she's going to lose? Yes. Sarah Palin and the other Republican Begich are over 50 percent together on, in, in the count right now. And they're split. And a lot of Begich's voters in the primary voted for the Democrat who won that seat in the special election. So that appears to be, the other Republican candidate appears to be the stand-up vote sponge for the establishment Republicans who don't like the populist movement, Sarah Palin. Ranked okay. choice voting absolutely favors the left. Oh, it's criminal. I know. Kelly Ward, the Arizona State GOP chair, has been, because that idea is being floated in Arizona, too, and she's been saying, don't even think about it. You know, it's just a disaster. Ranked choice voting is leading by 3% in Nevada right now on a referendum. Oh, for crying out loud. Okay, so I do want to get to you. You have made, I mean, I want to commend you on one thing about your Substack. Among the many, many things that you write about, I mean, you don't just write about numbers. And I, th I really commend a lot of what you've written. Um, I, one thing I want to quickly mention, we're going to get to that you've written 10 points uh, to true election integrity. And I want to kind of, because I think people in the audience, people in America are, are so frustrated. They, they saw what happened in 2020. We did not have one single state in the entire country actually as a state level decision eliminate electronic voting machines we had states do shifts and changes and little tweaks which were mostly they're not bad they just weren't consequential to attack election fraud committed via electronic election machines so we didn't correct the problem and so i don't know why anyone thought anything different would happen in these midterms and i want to get your 10 points because they're all great but two of the things that you point out i enjoy reading your substack this morning so much one was, uh, you made this point, which I've talked about in the show a lot, which is all of the 
election fraud, I mean, there apparently people are talking about it's been occurring in them. It always has occurred in small ways, you know, the, de the dead people, the cemetery vote. But really beginning in the early 2000s, there was evidence of more of the electronic manipulation. But you read the, wrote this article, and it's just a really important point. Trump's 2016 win sped up the global plan by 20 years. The gist of what I wanted to say was, in 2016, the left thought they had the election won. They thought they had Hillary, and this entire global push to take America away from being a sovereign nation and push toward globalism and, and, and kind of a abandonment of the important and unique uh, sovereign state of America, that was the game plan under Obama for eight years. It was their big plan, as, was, as Obama has revealed, uh, Patrick Byrne reports, it was going to be Obama for eight years, then going to be Hillary for eight years, then going to be Michelle Obama for eight years. You would have three times, it would be 24 years of Democrat control and just the evisceration of the idea of America. Trump got in the way. I just want to have you talk about briefly why you wrote this, Trump's 2016 win sped up the global plan by 20 years and how important that is. I don't agree with Patrick about the personnel, but the general idea I do. Okay. I personally believe that the entire system, this is pretty well thought out. This is why I estimate that there's 10% worth of fraud in West Virginia in 2020. This is a state that has lost hundreds of thousands of registered Democrats in two decades. And they somehow gained almost as many new votes in that election, actually more new votes than Donald Trump did in West Virginia. Why? Because you need to move the state to the left from 2016 so people can look at Western Pennsylvania and match it up and say, well, I guess that demographic of voter, the coal miner, did move left, so Pennsylvania should have logically flipped to Joe Biden. It's all constructed together. Now, with the bigger picture of this, to manipulate elections for 330 million people to live under, you have to have a degree of reality to it. People have to believe enough about the system. So I think that Florida, I, I think Florida probably ran organically on Tuesday night. I think Florida probably is Republicans plus 15 or 20 points at this point in time. I think Florida did what it did. And I think that Texas was also somewhat of a consolation prize where a lot of people worried about Beto O'Rourke. Now, I wasn't worried about him, really. I think he's, he's tarnished and dimmed his star quite a bit since the 2018 Senate race, which was a Trump midterm, and also the ill-fated presidential run that he had. But still, Texas was decent enough for Republicans statewide. And with Florida moving like it did, that gives people a bit of a degree of, hey, well, at least we have Florida. At least we have the House. The House majority is almost useless. It does check a few things, but it's not a powerful majority. It's not going to move anything legislatively. It's merely a check. And if it's, down, if it's 218 or 220 instead of 255, that's a far cry from what it should have been. The same thing with the Senate. You know, a 50-seat Senate or a 51-seat Senate doesn't really give a whole lot of leeway for getting anything approved. Now, with that said, the believability of everything also hinges on how many years a president's party is in office. Since World, since World War II, the only time that a party has won three consecutive terms in the White House was the Republican Party in the 80s. Reagan, Reagan, and Bush, 80, 84, and 88. The only time a party has won three consecutive terms in the White House since World War II. It's always been eight years, in eight years, eight years, eight years, or in the case of one, one term presidents like Jimmy Carter, four years. But it's, it's a very predictable pattern. So Barack Obama had his run. He won in 08, he won in 12. So in 2016, 
the baseline is that it should be a Republican tailwind. So a standard R should beat a standard D as long as the elections are fair. Now the concern was that Donald Trump was certainly not a standard R. So is he going to lose enough standard R's in the R states that are close? North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, and he won all those states in 2016. And then of course he pulled states that regular Republicans could not win. Yep. So he he went and won. Now, I think what would have happened, though, I think Hillary Clinton was the designate to win that election. And Las Vegas is not in the business of losing money. It did not get built because Las Vegas loses money. So the people that make odds do so with a lot of study and probably a lot of manipulation also. But if you looked at the odds in the summer of 2015 when Donald Trump announced for president, Hillary Clinton was the odds-on favorite for the Democrats. In fact, they cleared the field for her. It was her and Bernie Sanders for almost the entire campaign. And they still had to manipulate the primary to make sure that she beat him. And then there was the Republican field, which had 17 candidates. And 16 of them, well, about 14 of them were the same guy. And then you had Ben Carson, and you had Ted Cruz, and you had Donald Trump. Well, Donald Trump was a 100-to-1 kind of guy. Yep. You know, you put you put a you put a hundred dollars down on Donald Trump, and you make ten thousand. Jeb Bush was the odds-on favorite to be the nominee, okay. and if it wasn't going to be Jeb, the hedge the hedge was Marco Rubio. Mm -hmm. So the election was clearly thought to come down to Hillary Clinton and Jeb Bush in 2016. I believe that the Jeb Bush coalition was already clearly determined because you have Romney was worth 206 electoral votes, even though he won Texas by 16 points. John McCain was clobbered. He had less than 200 electoral votes in 2008. George Bush in 2004 was the last gasp of that Reagan coalition, which of course Bush was nothing like Reagan, but the Republican party was clearly in need of a makeover come 2016 and they were content to run Jeb Bush out there. Now, had Hillary Clinton won, I think for obvious reasons, given that her health was failing six years ago, I think that Hillary Clinton would have probably been retired in 2020. Congratulations. Here's your crown. You're the first woman president. Uh, now it's been three terms. It's going to be hard to sell a fourth one. So why don't you just retire? And here comes somebody in the Republican establishment who Jim. can... Who can, who can win? So I think Marco Rubio could win in a, an establishment versus establishment election. But somebody who's a Republican establishment member would have come in for eight years. And then you had an eight years starting in 2028 of somebody the left would really want in there. And that takes you all the way to 2036. So had Trump not won in 2016, I think that that would have probably been what you would expect in terms of people are asleep at the wheel. And, and we still do it. We still play Republicans versus Democrats. I do not like using this term we because we entails Paul Ryan, who's also yeah. a Republican. And he's already out there trying to blame Donald Trump for the manipulated midterm results. This is the most oh. fabricated idea I've ever seen in my life that that they're trying so hard to get people to believe and they want everybody to suspend their knowledge of political science on what's supposed to happen in elections based on many things. That was my, one of my big questions for you is there is an attempt right now to say we didn't have the big red wave two days ago because Trump, because people came out to vote against the Trump endorsed people or people didn't like what Trump has been saying about the elections. You don't buy that. No, I, I am going to allow for the results to settle, the dust to settle before I make any firm determinations of what I think would have happened in legitimate races. On my Rumble series, The Captain's Battlegrounds, I've broken down every state based on what I think the actual results were in the 2020 election. I only have four states that I believe trended to the left from 2016, and none of them were 
more of any electoral value except for New Hampshire. Now, with the midterms in 2018, this is why this is so important, is Paul Ryan's out there saying that Donald Trump cost the Republicans everything. Well, you know what I figured out in my research about 2018? I put it on my Substack. Midterm turnout is very predictable. Since 1974, that was the midterm that came right after Nixon's resignation, months after it. Yeah. Since 1974, midterms have an average of 65% of the previous presidential vote. So if there's 100 million votes in the previous presidential election, then the average turnout for the next midterm is going to be about 65 million. And the average on, in, in nine of 11 elections, it was right around two-thirds. And then you have a couple outliers. One of them was 72%. The other was low at 58%. What that means in 2018, there should have been an, an expectation of 89 million votes based on the 2016 total turnout and a high expectation based on the previous high of about 98 million. So 89 to 98 million is where I would look for midterm turnout in 2018 to be. It was 111 million. So it went, it went 13 million over the high expectation. And the Republican Party under somebody as feckless as Paul Ryan had 50 million House votes. So if had the, had the turnout been at the normal number of 89 million, the Republican Party would have won the House popular vote by 11 million votes with Donald Trump's first midterm. Now, accounting for maybe higher turnout on both parties, the Republican Party would have broke even with the Democrats on House turnout and therefore would have probably not lost the House. The Republican Party, according to my turnout numbers in 2018, should have had 61 Senate seats going into 2019, not 53. Imagine the Trump agenda with an expanded House majority and 61 Senate seats in 2019. Oh, the world would be a different place. I also have 63 Republican Senate seats likely at the beginning of 2021 with the 2020 election running properly. Okay, one well, thing on your subject, I'm just going to mention it for our listeners since we're talking, then I want to hit these points you have very thoughtfully developed, but what do we do about this? Um, but you wrote a piece called, You Will Not Want to Live in the World They Wish to Create. It was very profound because this just deviated from the assessment of numbers and, and, and turnout and percentages and just talked about, I mean, I, I, your substack is so substantive. I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful, but this idea, you. you won't want to live in the world you, they will wish to create. They wish to create. It's really painting a picture for people. You know, no one's going to want to live in the world the left is driving Americas toward. And even those voting for the left don't recognize it or they wouldn't be voting for it. And your point about, you know, this is just not a time to sleep. Many eloquent lines, uh, the, the notion you don't want to be asleep at the wheel. You don't want to be putting off thinking, well, I'll take the holiday season off. And then I'll get back and think about politics next year sometime. Recognizing the left is, uh, you, you had another piece talking about they, they never take a holiday. Uh, there was a, um, I think it was Rick Santorum in a speech one time. We, we saw him at some event. He was talking about uh, the relentlessness factor and how the left is relentless. They never, ever, ever stop fighting. So uh, you have a wonderful substack. I want to quick do a summary of what you had to say about these midterms two days ago and then hit the 10 points for true election integrity. Number one, the House may get a Republican majority, but very slight. Number two, the U.S. Senate may get a one-person majority Republican at the very best. Is that correct? I think so. And obviously, there's a, a bit of a slider factor on that. Is Adam Laxalt going to hang on in Nevada? Is Kelly Shabaka going to be the senator from Alaska, or will it be Lisa Murkowski? Because Lisa Murkowski is pretty much a Democrat. Oh, she's, yeah. And Arizona is still possibly in play. Blake Masters. 
Arizona's in play, but Air, the results in Arizona are to be scrutinized tremendously. Okay. Because they can absolutely, I'm convinced that the delays in counting are for them to assess what the actual count is and not report that and insert ballots as needed to make sure the final number preserves certain races. It's pretty obvious. Donald Trump's gains in Arizona in 2020 were historic. He outperformed the average Republican gains by 400,000 votes in Arizona in 2020 and lost the state for the second time in 72 years. Now, what I meant to get at in that article about you will not wish to live in the world that they want to create is this is we are not guaranteed just because we're americans to inherit a free future and people need to get that through their minds there have been a lot of nations that full of people that love their countries and we are a young nation france is an old nation britain they're old russia old spain old germany old ancient of course, we have the Roman Empire. There were people that loved their nations and fought valiantly for their nations and risked everything, and their nations failed and collapsed. So we are a nation state. We have a constitution that has been around for more than 230 years, and we are at a late hour. And the election issue is merely a symptom of the root cause that we have. I would expect something like this. If 100 years from now, if you wrote about a nation in decline, I would expect to read things like this because it's been commonplace in the world for people to take over power illegitimately. And of course, our system of achieving power is through elections, and you have the perception that you have free and fair elections. But I can tell you through history that the nature of political operations is for parties to trade power everywhere, in every state. In the 1994 red wave, the Republicans won statewide races in California, Washington, Minnesota, and New York, everywhere. Now we have about 20 states the Republicans are completely not competitive in and locked out of. So what I mean by that, you won't wish to live in the world that they want to create, is you will inherit a future that is so deprived of freedoms. Right, right. now, look at it now. You have mandates. I'm not anti-vaccine. I am anti-mandates. I think that people should have the ability to choose what they want to do. I am not anti-Democrats winning elections. I am anti-Democrats winning fraudulent elections or Republicans winning fraudulent elections for that matter because I think they do that in the primaries, which is why you've not seen any action in red states. And I am certainly not going to sit around when I have information and knowledge that I think is relevant to the future and do nothing because I run into people all over the place that complain about nothing happening. I'm like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? And they're afraid of losing their jobs. They're afraid of they're, they're not having a 401k on the other side, which of course is a, a lack of faith for God to provide for you. But you know, we can't just sit around and hope other people fix it. I have my role. We have people that don't have a prominent profile that have their roles. Everybody has to take their role and we have to get behind what it is that we care about or we will have the future force fed to us because we're getting ready after these midterms settle, especially if some of the things end well for conservative people to take a long winter's nap. We're going to celebrate Christmas and Thanksgiving for two months. I'm going to celebrate it for two days, but we are going to, as a people, settle down and let winter do its thing in the left the day after the midterm fight is over which of course now is going to be early December, thanks to this Georgia runoff. But as soon as the political cycle of midterm 2022 comes to an end, the left is going to be at work. If they're not already, they are in the states that are done, getting ready for the 2024 election. And I'll call it a quasi election, but they will be getting ready for that immediately. And if we forfeit two months 
you know, then we're already way behind the eight ball. So we have got to get past this seasonal Patriot stuff. Uh, I could not a thousand percent agree with what you said, could not agree more. And it's and everyone does have a role to play. Everyone's got a lane and you can do it and you can't just wait till election season. You know, my happy producer in there just signaled me 10 minutes. Are you kidding me? Um, and so, I, you know, and I also want to give our audience a chance to ask questions. And I want to quickly run through. You have your 10 points of true election integrity. This room, by the way, has, has people in who worked this last election cycle. I think they can't wait to tell you some things that happened right here in Dallas County. Simply mind-blowing happened just two days ago. But you have 10 points of true election integrity. Uh, and I, so I want to read them off, and you can give a two-sentence summary of what you mean. Clean out voter rolls. The voter rolls are the foundation of a clean election or a bad election. You can go to a number of states. Texas has extremely bloated voter rolls in 2016 and 2020. Massive, way over and above and beyond any number of registered voters net we've had in the last 20 years. The voter rolls allow for states with a lot of mail-in voting to send the ballots out to the entire roll, like Nevada. Nevada mails ballots to the entire roll. Oh, and of course, in Texas, in our own internal Secretary of State audit, they revealed there's 450,000 duplicate registrations at the time of the 2020 election. So mail ballots assigned to voter registration, especially in corrupt centers, urban centers, picked up by professional harvesters. That's your foundation. So if you have clean rolls, only legitimate voters can be eligible to vote. Sounds great. Next one is ban all electronic elections equipment. I, I think everyone in this room knows. I mean, it is the source of fraud. It is a tremendous source of fraud, and not to mention the transparency factor of putting your vote into this box and trusting the government is reporting what actually is in the box. Oh, you can't even believe. Yeah, you, the stories in Texas. Voter ID with paper ballots only. Anybody that thinks somebody because of the color of their skin is too stupid to get an ID is the most racist person alive. Voter ID, anybody that wants to withhold it from an election wants to cheat the election. Ban mail-in voting. Any exceptions? Yes. Overseas military, legitimately disabled, we can make some exceptions, but it's not about convenience. Yeah, it's not mail-in if you just don't feel like showing up. Okay. Ban early voting. That's going to be a tough one for a lot of Texans because we started that. But early voting in 2020, 91% of our vote was in before election day here. It is not election weeks. It is not election month. It is specified as election day. Now, well, you're going to read point number six and it's going to match up now. Drastically smaller precincts. In order to get away from the shortcuts of early voting and in other states mail-in voting, we have to have smaller voting lines. That means we need to get away from these massive voting centers that they put in in the bigger counties, and we need to get back to precincts of 1,200 or fewer registered voters and push one day, one vote. I, I, I'm nodding along. You can't. The camera's on you, not me, but I'm nodding along. Every single one of you are brilliant. Uh, number seven, ban ballot harvesting. That is illegal in Texas. In Florida, Governor DeSantis made it a felony to harvest ballots. Ballot harvesting is the secret sauce for amping up mail ballot turnout, especially for candidates like Joe Biden who don't campaign, or Katie Hobbs in Arizona. I, I know because they knew they expected to win. Okay, uh, number eight, election day is a holiday. Make Cri it a really critical thing. If we ever have that, it's going to be a good sign that we're on the right track because it used to be that we would vote primarily on one day. But the line is that we can't get off of work to go vote, so we need more early vote, we need more mail vote, and it's all designed to manipulate election results. I love that election day holiday. Uh, number nine, new reporting requirements for transparency. Yep, no more the largest county gets to hold out its votes because we're trending in Texas in the next years to be in the next ten years to become a blue state presidentially by 2032. So 
Imagine 2028, where Texas is holding on to a two-point Republican lead and Dallas and Travis counties want to hang on and count votes for three days and wait and see what Wichita Falls did. And they want to see what Amarillo did. That's what's going on in Phoenix right now, is they're wanting to see, hey, how did, how did uh, Cochise County come in? How did Mojave County come in? And then, boom, here's your votes. We win by 10,000 votes. Okay. So that's one of those rules. Yeah, I mean, I love uh, transparency is a beautiful thing. Last one is, and I do want to, we have a, the microphone? Yes, you have it. Okay. We have audience questions uh, now that I have taken more time than I should have. But last one is heavy prison sentences for all who commit fraud. You don't even have to explain. If you can't lock these people up, then they will keep on doing it. They've got to be afraid they're going to jail for a long, long time. So we have an opportunity for our audience to ask questions. I will say, though, for those of you thinking, what can I do? You can take Seth Keschel's list right here on his Substack, the point, the article called The Ten Points to True Election Integrity. Make that your to-do list to pressure your state officials, your state rep and state senator. I want all these things done, and they're well explained on his website. That alone would be a fabulous way to get involved if you otherwise are not involved. Do we have questions in the audience? And speak right into the microphone, very close to your mouth. Okay, I'm wondering what in the heck happened in Pennsylvania with Fetterman? So we have a couple issues in Pennsylvania that are legitimate ones. Now, I'm not saying the outcome is what it should have been, but Dr. Oz was not President Trump's first choice for the Senate. That was Sean Parnell. Sean Parnell's an Army veteran, young guy, who was cheated out of a U.S. House seat in the 2020 election out in Western PA. Parnell got run out of the race by the courts in a family law case. And of course, the media made a field day out of it, and he quit the race. So Dr. Oz is not a good candidate, in my opinion. He doesn't appeal to socially conservative voters. He really doesn't appeal to populist conservative voters. He's sort of all over the political compass. But of course, compared to Fetterman, he looks like Ronald Reagan. Now, uh, you have that issue. You have the, the internal cheat in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. So Donald Trump only won the 2016 election because he did a flanking maneuver and he pulled off Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. They thought they had him fenced off in the 2004 George Bush map because they had plucked out Colorado and Virginia and Nevada from that map. But Donald Trump created a new map. But that was not an option for him in 2020 because all the eyes were on those states had a heavy trend and they're going to continue to trend. So those states are in lockdown mode now. And until there's a serious exposure of what's going on with elections, they will stay that way and cause problems for 2024, which is why it's so important to win in Nevada and Arizona. We have time for one more question. I'm sorry, does anybody else have a question? Right in the microphone. I noticed something on Tuesday evening. <clears throat> I wondered if you thought this was significant. Um, I noticed that Tarrant County and Dallas County both had less than 0.5% of their election day votes turned in by 12.45 a.m. Harris County, the largest county, had 34% of their precincts rep reported at that point. Dallas, uh, Tarrant and Dallas County had less than 0.5% of their precincts reported. So I looked a little closer. I don't know about Tarrant, but for Dallas County, I realized that they were re recording all of their election day votes as provisional votes. And sometime during the night, they flopped them. So I'm wondering if you think that that is a significant thing to notice, or is that just a simple error that it just happened to show up in the provisional column and election day votes stayed zero until sometime in the wee hours of the night, and then they flopped him over. Well, it, because of all the issues we have with election transparency, it's an obvious concern and issue. The official response you will get from the counties 
is that this is not an official means of reporting votes. So we know this from the Texas primaries. There's a candidate named Bianca Gracia who ran for state senate down in southeast Texas, and she she lost like 8,000 votes off the reported totals. Well, what was the county's answer? Well, we fat-fingered a mistake, and uh, that's not an official reporting apparatus anyway. So we don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Now, I, I do know that people do actually vote. So um, a lot of these are glitchy systems run by careless people. So, But the, it really underscores point number nine. We don't have the transparency we need to trust these results. And in a place like Dallas County, you got 20% more votes than you're supposed to have. That's 100,000 votes. That's a lot. That completely vanquishes Van Zandt County. It crushes Ellis County. gets rid of Rockwall County. It's, a, it's truly the civil rights problem of our time. It's a disenfranchisement issue. Amen to that. I have to tell you, Seth Kessel, we need two more hours, but we don't have it. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for being here. It's just thank wonderful you, to have you. Wonderful to have you. And thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. One week from today, we're going to have a guest in the studio, Kevin Freeman, who is the host of his own talk show called Economic War Room and an author. He's also just an internationally recognized expert on economic warfare, going to talk to us about the impact of ESG, how it's a form of cultural Marxism, how the danger of central bank digital currency and many economic issues. He makes complicated economic things, economics issues, really simple to follow. Brilliant guy. Tune in next Thursday. And in Tune in every day, Monday through Thursday, at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you. A serious America, can we talk truth about America? Can you